Everyone faces challenges every single day. Some are chosen and bring us joy. Some are given to us and bring struggle or pain. Whether the diagnosis of an illness, the news of a friend's death, the loss of a job, or a bike accident, we may be asked to step up to face issues that demand courage and perseverance. Hurt is just one of the many aspects of full lives. Each week on this show, ACT, Taking Hurt to Hope, Dr. Joanne Dahl helps us understand how we can use acceptance and commitment therapy to learn to accept what we cannot change and move forward into a valued life. Now, here's your host, Dr. Joanne Dahl. Welcome to ACT, Taking Hurt to Hope. In the next few episodes of this program, we're going to be talking about ACT processes. These are key aspects seem to be critical in helping people to become aware of self-destructive behavior on the one hand and how to get back on track and get engaged in valued activities or activities that matter to you. And remember, there are three basic processes of ACT. Um, the first is opening up to the here and now, which is the reality of this moment. And the second is becoming aware of the actual nature of reality. That is seeing thoughts as thoughts and different from the actual uh, sensations of here and now that you can perceive through your senses. And thirdly, engaging in valued action, which requires persistency and commitment. So today's program is about persistency in the face of difficulty, or sometimes it's called committed action. We live in a culture of quick fixes, immediate gratification. And one of the things, just an example that I love about my iPad, is that I can hear about a book and I can have it downloaded in my iPad within minutes. We want immediate responses to text messages, and it's even hard to remember when we waited weeks for responses of handwritten letters sent through the post office. So all of these things have shaped our behavior, and we expect quick relief from feelings we don't like and quick results of what we do want. Now, criminal behavior is another way of taking shortcuts. Quick money with little effort or expressing aggressive behavior or to get quick results, also using drugs to help you do things that you normally would be difficult for you to do. As we remember uh, our example from Norway two years ago, Anders Breivik, um, the Norwegian man who walked on to the young, young people's camp in Norway and gunned down hundreds of young adults and said afterwards that he knew he needed to be pumped up with steroids in, in order to, to do this gruesome act. So where do our children learn about persistency in the face of difficulty and rather than taking shortcuts? The ability to stay strong and persistent on a valued direction when things get tough. In earlier times, we had extended families where many learned from older generations about the value of persistency. We also had institutions like churches and scouting that taught us the value of persistency. Today's young people spend more time in front of commercialized forums like the internet and TV than with adults. So persistency 
or committed action is recognized as a key process, a skill that needs to be learned and practiced in order to be persistent when the going gets tough. Today you're going to get a chance to listen to someone that you have listened to before, Dr. David Brillhart. If you remember, David is a clinical psychologist specializing in ACT in forensic and correctional settings. Among his areas of expertise includes a 20-month groundbreaking pilot study using ACT as a treatment alternative to anger management with sexually violent persons. He now works as a state psychiatric hospital treating high-risk special needs sex offender patients. David, uh, with working with this difficult population, uh, has given him the opportunity to use ACT uh, in to, to help people navigate life challenges, also in his private practice. You can read more about David on his website, which you can get by clicking on his name in this week's Act Taking Her to Hope. Welcome back again, David. Thank you for inviting me back. I appreciate it. David, um, last time we talked to you, we were talking about Act Behind Bars. Right. And uh, you, I know that you have a lot of experience working with people who have been convicted for criminal behavior. So would you say that lack of persistency in getting quick results or choosing short-term relief over long-term is a critical aspect of criminal behavior? Oh, absolutely. It's really a, a crucial component of understanding the psychology behind criminal behavior. You know, Joanne, in, in my experience working in correctional and forensic settings, at the very heart of criminal behavior is brought about by a person's attempt to try to control what they ultimately cannot control, those thoughts, feelings, and other people. And they do that by masking it with temporary fixes. It's, um, it's a Band-Aid approach when you really think of it that might range from substance abuse all the way to violating the rights of others in order to control what they can't control, the mm. uncontrollable to reactions to thoughts and feelings in people. So, so what would be some examples of this lack of persistence? What, what might it look like in criminal behavior in the people that you meet in prison? That's a great question. I, uh, I can think of one particular client that I have who when he was uh, at a very young age, he was sexually abused by family members and in the, the process of group, he only began to realize the impact of his sexual assault on his life and what he's learned from that in terms of being able to identify those times when he got older, when uncontrollable situations arose out of his thoughts and feelings and people. And what he would do with that, he would abuse drugs and alcohol and then engage in promiscuous sex to try and control what he ultimately could not control. Mm-hmm. But with the onset of his thought-disordered symptoms that included paranoia and hearing voices, he again, he tried to stop and control these symptoms, the paranoia and hearing voices, which ultimately he couldn't. And ultimately, he engaged in repeated sexual offending behavior that got him to the state hospital where I now work, where I am now treating him. Mm -hmm. How do you explain that, David? What, how, how does this get established, um, this type of behavior in your in your experience? Well, I look really at reinforced behavior. And when someone is doing something for that temporary fix, that Band-Aid approach, we'll call it for the sake of understanding, they get a high from it. Mm -hmm. Well, after the high wears off, 
those thoughts and feelings and reactions to people tends to be worse than what it was originally. And mm-hmm. so in order to mask that, they go for more of a high, whether that's with substance abuse, sexual offending, or some other way of violating other people's rights. And mm-hmm. so this, this amplification of the same type of behavior begets additional criminal behavior. Yeah. How how do you think that starts with uh, when you think of children's behavior? Uh, here here in Sweden, we're having a trend of this type of, of self-cutters, both for young right. men and women. What, how does this get started? It's a very interesting question. It, just my own theory, I think, here in the United States, it's uh, we live in a society with immediate gratification. You think of uh, reality television as an example you know 20 years ago 25 30 years ago this didn't exist this immediacy of being able to get answers well there is no way to be able to um to control that you know for a lot of people because they want answers now on things whereas before like your introduction when you had talked about waiting weeks to get a response in the mail we want that answer now and so when this is being learned from a very young age, it can help but perpetuate itself as the person gets older with that expectation, I want it, I want it now. Mm. And then you get the cycle of, of criminality that occurs. Yeah. What about, um, you know, when I think of, of um, uh, what's the word, um, when you take things from the stores and... Um, Shoplifting. Shoplifting and things like that that, yeah. Yeah, that yeah, a lot of young people probably have done. Would, that would also be an immediate gratification. Well, it, you know, back in the day, one worked to be able to earn a wage and to be able to save up and buy. But in this immediacy of seeing something shiny that's on the store shelf, I want it now, so I'm going to take it now. So, yes, that pattern just continues. Yeah, yeah. So... What what do you do uh, when a person has established crim- criminal behavior in the form of shortcuts or quick money or cheating? Um, uh, isn't it difficult to get, to motivate them into long term persistency? You know, it's it's difficult to motivate long term persistency whether a person is in a forensic setting or outside in the community. Mm-hmm. Repeat behavior, when you think about it in terms of these shortcuts, it has an immediate payoff of reinforced behavior, I get what I want. When I want it, I want it now. And there's a a high, so to speak, with this quick fix of criminal behavior. But it's time limited. And Mm -hmm. when that wears off and the uncontrollable situations come about in terms of thoughts and feelings and people, well, we don't like what we feel. So that leads to reoffense because you want to mask those uncontrollable situations. It's, It's really a a vicious cycle. Um, I equate it really to a hamster on a, a hamster wheel. And if you think about those hamsters, they run faster and faster and faster on that hamster wheel. Mm. And they find it just so difficult to get off. And the answer is, how do you stop that? You stop running. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So so tell me, tell us how, how you would work with this training of persistency. Or how do you, for, first of all, how do you um, discover that this is the problem, this uh uh, looking for the long-term results. How how do you discover it to start with? Well, at the state hospital where I work, I look in terms of criminal behavior, antisocial behavior that's being repeated over and over again. You know, with incident reports as an example, when I see that there is persistency in the negative way, 
then that leads me to look at a deeper level. What's going behind, what's, what's behind that behavior itself? Why are people continuing to reoffend in the sitting and have uh, acting out behavior that kind of shows up? So that's what I look at to see if there are any patterns of behavior that are developing over and over again, and I mm-hmm. want to find out why that is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and say that you discover, um, do you have an example of, of a person that, that you have seen this lack of persistency and, and, and how you worked with it? Uh, sure. I uh, One particular patient comes to mind with a lack of persistency and it really showed up with his sexually acting out behavior with other peers uh, at the facility. And when we were unpacking this in group, we looked at the situations that came up of when he chose to sexually act out Mm -hmm. and what were uncontrollable situations that he was feeling in the moment, you know, pertinent to his thoughts and feelings or maybe even reactions to other people. So it's that identification piece that we looked at, and that's where we started to address persistency in group with him. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How did you do that? So... One of the things that I do in group, even before I look at persistency being an issue, is just to identify what's really important to a person. And to me, unless a person can really identify what's what matters to them most, that they can't even begin to look at persistency without knowing why they are controlling what they can control. So for me, I ask them to identify what their payoff is. You know, Joanne, when you, when you think about this, if I'm going to ask someone to be willing to allow uncomfortable situations just to be, to make room for them in their lives, well, there's got to be a payoff for them in some way, shape, mm-hmm. or form. So mm-hmm. that payoff in terms of values is important. And yeah. in, in, in my group settings, what we do is to, uh, to do some values clarification. And what I've developed is an exercise called a values masterpiece. Mm-hmm. And... What I've done here is to bring in magazines and markers and different craft supplies, mm-hmm. and I have the group participants create collages of how they want their life to look like, mm-hmm. you know, what they imagine it, what their wishes and wants are. And when they're through, I have them explain it in group, what, they, what they've identified, and I'll also ask the other group participants to see if they can identify any themes, any resonant themes that are developing. And, and from that perspective, we are able to draw out what their values are. Mm-hmm. And, and then one other formal way that I recognize for them and help them see that is I have a values clarification certificate. It's a formal certificate where I'll say, you know, John Doe uh, on this day declared these as his values. Mm-hmm. And because it is a formal piece of paper, they take pride in that. Mm-hmm. And I've seen some of these individuals they'll uh, they'll post it in their in their room in a place of prominence because mm-hmm. it is a visual reminder of what really matters what they what they want their life to stand for but it's 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 through that that we can start developing persistency once we identify why they're why they're facing that what um i'm interested in that david because um I often, uh, when I was working in, in Africa, I, I thought this was a very difficult area that sometimes I didn't understand uh, the context when people talked about, that would use words. For example, I met a, 
uh, I was in a total institution for epilepsy, and I uh, met a young black man who lived in um, uh, you know, in a very poor area, and he and he said his value was to be a policeman, and uh, it, it took me some understanding of uh, what that meant. It's it's not always clear when people uh, give you a word, right? It's, you you <laughs> you hit that on the nail on the head because it takes really creative listening. Mm-hmm. Like, I like that I were, name, creative listening. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you're for me, when I'm working with individuals with really profound criminal pasts, it's being able to be patient and be present to listen to the context of what is going on, like for this policeman or the this individual you talked about and his desire to be a policeman, I would ask questions like, well, what is it about being a policeman that's important to you? Yeah. And you see it's, it's peeling that onion to get to different layers, and through that, we, we can get to the heart of it. That's where you can identify what the values are. Yeah, it, that it is quite difficult. I, I have another example of um, working with a, a young woman uh, who was in a, a, a kind of a foster or treatment home, and she was very self-destructive, and she prostituted herself in order to get, you know, get some alcohol. and And I asked her, you know, uh, you know, what what she was doing there, and she said, actually, this was it was according to her value of that she she wanted uh, human contact, and and it, you know, it really took me a while to understand, like that 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 was kind of a way she was really going around in circles but in some way i could understand that that in some way there was some value in there for her as compared to living in a deprived right. institution but that that's really powerful you think about that she wants human connection with someone and even and looking at that well what does it mean for her to have that you know what might that look like you know why is that important all these peeling the onion layers down yeah. deeper, you gain greater awareness of why that's important to her. And then ask, well, are there other ways maybe that you can go about to get your needs met in terms of these beautiful values that you have? Yeah, exactly. I, th- I like that you say that because it's very easy for us to be judgmental and think, oh, well, you know, yeah. whoa, you know, prostituting yourself, how could that possibly be of a value? And but right. I, and I think it's so, like, I like the, the word creative listening because <laughs> it's with, I think this is what for me, what drew me to act is that uh, the values part that, I mean, in CBT, we've also talked, talked about long-term uh, work over short-term results, but values really does help us to lift up and and um, to be able to find that persistency. Why but, does it matter? Yeah, but that's that's a lifelong journey, that persistency. It doesn't, you know, you talk about uh, CBT as an example. I hear this as shorter-term fixes, maybe, of being able to reduce symptoms, whereas with ACT, we look at a lifetime process. You know, I will spend the rest of my life walking and working with hands and feet in terms of action with what's really important to me, and through that is where I gain valued living when I'm doing that in that direction. Mm-hmm. Do you have experience of, of young young criminals? <laughs> yes, I I spent uh, two years in my clinical training with uh, medium security adolescents from 13 to 20 who were incarcerated. And and what does it look like that in, in when it comes to persistency and teaching? Uh, how do they um, learn to face those challenges? 
we use that word creative listening. And when I think of these these young men that I worked with, there was really a component of not having the voice to be able to be able to articulate what it's like when difficult thoughts and feelings come up or when they react to other people. And because it's kind of a guttural feeling right right then, they react to that. So that creative listening crops up to be able to help them identify in the moment when things come up. Mm-hmm. And that's it's just as if you've worked with this population knowing that building therapeutic trust with them, mm-hmm. so they will actually listen in a non-judgmental stance. These these young men, they are masterful at being able to read people, and mm-hmm. they know when someone is being sincere and when someone is just there because they have to be there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so do you have an example like what uh, the the values masterpiece, I think it was, it was a really good example yeah. of. But what about for young people? Is that Would you have done something it, else? Without No, I would have done the same thing. It, when I mention the values masterpiece, I, I have this image in my mind with some of the older adults that I have in my current groups and how they would kind of roll their eyes when they mm-hmm. saw me bringing in art supplies. But it is amazing to see how throughout the lifespan from 13-year-olds that I've worked with all the way up to individuals in their 60s and 70s in incarcerated settings, how they really put their heart into this. And I think there's some universality there when you think about that, how we really want to be able to express ourselves. Mm -hmm. And this exercise has proven to be very uh, productive in giving them a voice to maybe say what they've not been able to articulate before. David, do you have any experience of of them of people leaving um, the prisons and uh, of persistency when they're actually out in, uh, you know, out in life? It, it, only not any direct contact. Only through kind of hearsay. When I've had um, clients who've been conditionally released, you know, I hear from the other, other different providers how they how they. Uh, are adapting to the community, mm-hmm. but uh, my primary clinical focus has been inside these settings, and I I don't have any uh, any contact with them outside of this outside of these these areas. Okay, how about in your private practice? Um, do you see like when when people go out and try to you know they learn something in the session about yeah. but but what about when they get out and and have to on their own? I love that question, Joanne, because one of the things that I I find myself saying to my clients is, you know, the therapy may start in the room, but it actually takes place outside the doors. That's where they start living what they're learning. And I have one particular client. uh, She's very inspiring to me in many ways because she has struggled her entire life with uncontrollable situations that has led to substance abuse and many other just significant stressors that have been roadblocked for her to live a values-guided life. And in the course of probably the four months that we've been working together, to see just a startling change in terms of her willingness to be present Mm -hmm. and how she's sleeping better, how she's standing up for herself, how she is giving voice and setting beautiful boundaries and all of these actions, with, because they are persistent focused, have given her a renewed interest in a new lease on life. 
Mm-hmm. Well, what do you think makes the difference, David? Um, because often uh, it's pretty easy for us to make changes, but it's very, very difficult to keep the changes in the long run. What what makes a difference for people in your experience? The words therapeutic relationship come to my mind. I'm, I just I really believe as an ACT clinician that we need to be transparent and sincere and be able to model what we are giving as advice to our clients and guiding them. And just like those uh, young adolescents that I worked with that I had mentioned previously, if we are not sincere in what we do, how can we expect our clients and the courage that they have just to show up for treatment to be able to follow what we give? That therapeutic relationship in a real way is, to me, the glue that helps promote persistency and their willingness to know that they have someone in their corner who is willing to guide them. Mm-hmm. And because of that courage, they go forward. And I've, I've just seen amazing results that are just so edifying for me. I was thinking about what the difference is, but why some people are able to be persistent and other people are not able. Do you think that it's, I was thinking of Steve Hayes, you know, the um, yeah. uh, instrument with the, the, he is the breath holding, that, that people who are able to hold their breath um, longer, so it's to be tolerant of uncomfortable feelings, uh, predicted smoke sensa- cessation. Right. That, uh, do you think that this tolerance of, um, it, the more you're able to tolerate discomfort, the, the better maybe you can be persistent in. Yeah, uh, that is certainly a large component of, of tolerance. But but really, for me, unless they can really identify these individuals, what their payoff is, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because, you know, if we're asking someone anxiety, depression, anger, whatever shows up, and we're asking them to be willing to just make room for that. That's a tall order to mm-hmm. ask anyone mm-hmm. to do. Mm-hmm. So I want to know, and I learned this from actually the uh, the young adolescents in the medium security jail where I was at. I learned this. What's my payoff? And that yeah. always stuck with me. But when you help someone identify and ask, and I add them, ask out loud, what's my payoff? Uh-huh. And when they identify that, it's it's a stark reminder of why I'm sitting with stuff that I can't control, because that, that hurts at times. But yeah. if they know what their payoff is, they have a guide now. I'm doing it because of this, whatever this is for them. That's great, David. I think that's very clear. What's my payoff? Yeah. <laughs> but but it, it, it's, it's a startling, but think for you and me, just we go through our stuff in our own lives because <laughs> As the sake of being human beings, and when we struggle, if we were to ask, why am I doing this? What's my payoff? Mm-hmm. Ah, it's because of this. I value this. Mm-hmm. Then it becomes easier to navigate around that uncontrollable stuff. Mm-hmm. 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 I like that. David, um, we're getting towards the end of the program. Are you, um, when you think about, I know that you have a private practice, and so right. how would you generalize uh, these things you have learned, like what's my payoff to to, to um, uh, your your kind of general population that you work with? Say the people, our radio listeners who are, you yeah. know, just facing difficulties and may not be looking seeking therapy at all. But yeah. what advice could you give them about being persistent? If we want hope in our lives. It doesn't just show up on a Tuesday morning at 7 o'clock. Hope requires us to do something. And oftentimes that's about 
going outside of our comfort zone to be able to pursue meaningful living. And whether it be in forensic settings where I'm at or in private practice or any of your listeners out there, until you can actually identify what your payoff is, what's really important for you, asking yourself you know, your willingness is not going to make a lot of sense to sit with that stuff. Identify what's important with you first. That's giving such clarity because now you have a reason to be able to sit with those uncontrollable thoughts, feelings, and even reactions to people. Identify your payoff, and you got a great roadmap for life. <laughs> that, that sounds good, dude. You know, I just want to ask you a quick question of that. Uh, when, when you uh, uh, think about uh, people who, for example, want to quit smoking or want to lose weight, um, often you hear that uh, they don't, you know, that the long term consequences of cancer, you know, is bad for your health, doesn't really make a whole lot of difference. But when they find their own reason for example i want to play with my grandchildren or i want yeah. to that seems to make all the difference oh yeah and and one other component when you're looking at substance abuse or or with my clients sexually acting out behavior or lack of transparency i ask them what is this costing you to maintain mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. because that is also a reminder and for your listeners what is it costing mm-hmm. them to control what they can't control. Is it leading you closer to what's important to your payoff or further away? Okay, so for example, then uh, if um, every every step you take, for example, towards if you're going to take the cigarette or not, or that's, mm-hmm. uh, you could actually look at every single little step. Is it taking me closer or farther mm-hmm. away? Mm-hmm. Without question. And sometimes when we have lofty goals, whatever they may be, like quitting smoking, how difficult that is for so many people. Mm-hmm. It's easy to become overwhelmed with the ultimate goal of end smoking. Well, maybe break it down on a what you can do today or maybe even just this moment of what you're willing to commit to doing mm-hmm. instead of becoming overwhelmed with you mm-hmm. know, throwing away the pack of cigarettes. Mm-hmm. Start moment by moment. That also also is very overwhelming to think that I will never smoke again or I will never oh, drink yeah. again. But uh, right. moment to moment seems to be more, This uh, what, am I coming closer or farther away to... Um, what my is payoff. <laughs> my payoff? There you go. Thank you so much for being on the program again with us today, David. It's been my honor. Thank you so much. You have been listening to Dr. David um, Brillhart. Uh, David is a, a clinical psychologist specializing in ACT in forensic and correctional settings. Uh, he has, uh, among other things, done a 20-month groundbreaking study using ACT as a treatment alternative to anger management with sexually violent persons. He now works as a state at, as, at a state psychiatric hospital treating high-risk special needs sex offending patients. Uh, working with this difficult population has afforded David the opportunity to help clients in a community navigate life challenges at his private practice. You can read more about David and his work uh, on his website by clicking on his name on this week's act, Taking Her to Hope. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you for joining us today. For more information about Joanne, please see her website at joannedahl.com or click on the host website button in front of you on the webtalkradio.net page. You may also see her books, The Art of Science of Valuing in Psychotherapy, Living Beyond Pain, Using Acceptance and Commitment Therapy to Ease Chronic Pain. 
acceptance and commitment therapy for chronic pain, values in action, and epilepsy, a behavior medicine approach to assessment and treatment in children. All of these are found easily by clicking the cover or going to Amazon.com. We hope you'll join us again soon for another episode of ACT, Taking Hurt to Hope.